0: This is Why Libertarian, the show dedicated to telling the stories of libertarians new and old, promoting libertarian values, and fighting against authoritarians, statists, feds, and anyone else who would like to steal your liberty and freedom. I am Matthew Struck, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this episode. Enjoy. Enjoy. all right it's thursday we are live it is seven o'clock this is why libertarian i am matt coming to you every monday through friday at 7 p.m i got a little bit of a treat for you we're debuting like a regular weekly segment that we're going to be doing here going forward into the future Um, it is called natural rights talk we're going to be discussing natural rights because as you're going to find out from my very special guest that um, not very many people understand it, um, (laughs) namely the people that are supposed to understand the law. Uh, But so, that being said, before we get into it, um, a reminder, like, comment, subscribe, share, hit the notification bell, retweet, get this out there. This is gonna be really powerful information. Like, share this because today is kind of like our overview of it. And then each one of our successive episodes, we're going to be doing a, a deeper look or a deeper dive into each one of these various issues. And you're going to see it's it's voluminous. So we're going to have a lot of information to share. Um, and it's going to be pretty eye-opening. So And then a quick reminder, tomorrow night I'm live as well, and I have Martha Bueno on, um, and we are going to be discussing Latinos and, and their role within the Liberty Movement, both domestically and internationally so um it's going to be a good time the next two nights uh to end out the week so uh without further ado i want to introduce my guest this is josiah hinkle how's it going josiah
1: hey how's it going
0: hey <laughs> remind me uh and the and the audience where you're coming up to us from
1: uh well uh from the american natural rights foundation
0: yes and and so uh the american natural rights foundation is your baby right like your organization
1: uh yeah i founded it with uh another another individual
0: awesome and so what really kind of brought that about what was like the inspiration for it
1: uh well i guess he and i were uh kind of working on the research at the time Um, i was kind of introducing him to some historical narratives that um i kind of pieced together from some research i had done Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, um, he ended up having to move to Oregon. And uh, so the project just kind of stalled for a few weeks. And I happened to um, just hear an ad on the radio about a nonprofit and just kind of thought the idea, you know, like, hey, you know what? That would really, you know, allow us because it really opened the door into um what do you need to actually make the change? Because this information is out there, you know what I mean? It's, it's available, it may not be understood by a lot of people, it may not be as comprehensively gathered, you know, but um, it's certainly out there. But yeah, so um, th- with the idea of it being an organization, you know, that just kind of led to um, the ability to have, you know, high quality employees who could do research, who could verify things, and then, you know, kind of create an educational aspect to that, where they could um, provide education to not only, you know, government agency, like say, um, a police academy, but actually to, you know, the public, to actually like K through eight or, you know, high school and collegiate programs. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so then on the other hand, it just, you know, being able to go to the government and kind of lay the groundwork to, you know, introduce, what they might be seeing you know what what they might uh, misunderstand or or whatever the case may be but uh so that when the public actually comes to use some of this research um you know they're not just hit hitting kind of a, a wall
0: <laughs> yes yeah well i so um I, first of all, uh, I disclaimer, I am not an attorney, um, uh, Josiah, you're not a licensed attorney, correct? You're you're no. a legal researcher. Um, and this is being done for educational purposes. And one of the things that you said to me at, at the beginning, when we just first started to talk and you reached out to me was something that was really kind of alarming. Uh, a lot of people would think that there's like this long vetting process to go from being an attorney to a judge. That's like not the case, right?
1: Right. So uh, yeah, it only takes um, five years of being a practicing attorney to qualify as a uh, to sit as a judge, and oftentimes even that's not even necessary because I can't remember the the name of it, but they'll even just invite lawyers in to act as a judge for you know a temporary uh, time. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's, <laughs> it's like
0: it's like giving a it's like giving a nineteen year old keys to a Ferrari. <laughs> it's even worse than that,
1: because when when we actually get into the stuff and we start talking about courts, you know, you're going to learn that lawyers really, well, we're not going to talk about it today, but in the future, we're going to talk about, you know, courts and uh, lawyers, their primary experience with courts is our courts of equity and equity jurisdiction. And so the consequence is basically, you know, they don't understand the law because they're yeah. two different two different beasts. So,
0: yeah. Well, and, and I think that's also really important is, and and we were talking right before we went live. Um, you know, the the law is so complex that there are a, a, a series of things that you know, most cases or, or most rulings or, or laws are based off of. And um, you've you've made the point in the past that like, a lot of those baseline things that attorneys and even judges are supposed to understand or even police officers, they get that wrong, which means that we get garbage out the other end. Is that accurate?
1: Uh yeah. Well <laughs> it's not like there hasn't been a you know, an intentional campaign to make that the situation. But yeah, yeah you're definitely correct in, in how you articulated that.
0: Yeah. Well, so um, before we kind of get into, we, we have a lot that we're going to cover into the future here, and I want to make sure that we kind of like hit on each one of those as we go through it. You can kind of like walk us through the the uh, the, the write-up that you've, you've, you've given us. But so um, what compelled you to do it? Like, I mean, what from your background really got you interested in doing this? Was it a personal experience? Had you always been involved in the law? What was that like? uh well
1: yeah i guess growing up poor <laughs> i uh i grew up under the bush regime you might mm-hmm. say and uh i kind of came That's across a
0: good word for it <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> and i came across you know um zeitgeist not for sure if you're familiar with that uh work by peter joseph but uh yeah it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of the government corruption surrounding 9 11 and mm-hmm. um from that point on, you know, while I kind of got swindled by Obama, you know, he said a lot of fancy words that I was like, hey, that's exactly what would make sense. And so yeah. I didn't vote. I was still like 16 at the time, but I was at least, you know, like, maybe there isn't going to be corruption for once. And then it was all corrupt. And it was so bad. And I remember by like 2012, it was just like, it was just so bad. It was just like blatant and terrible. And uh, yeah, so I've kind of you know i inherited a set of law books from uh, my grandparents and um i you know anytime a situation would arise you know and i'd be like well, let's look into that and I'd check them out but it always just left you you know powerless like yeah. there's something in there that really is helpful you know it, it never really helped and uh, i just kept with it and i happened to um come across some information that kind of led from one place to another and uh, That just kind of developed you know everything you see before you so um at the same time i guess i would also mention that i saw a lot of other people utilizing uh some of this resource some of this information and um a lot of them you know mistaken about some of these things and just like with a little bit more of the historical research or whatever they could have had the context that would have kind of explained or you know taken away some of the errors that in the end ended up getting them, you know, fines or jail time or whatever. So my intent with this organization was just to make robust and absolutely verified and solid research first so that, you know, nobody's led astray and nobody, you know, ends up hurting themselves when they're just trying to assert their rights.
0: Yeah, I I think that's fantastic. I I think um, and it's actually surprising to me that someone hasn't done this in the past because I, I guess maybe it's just the nature of law school and how lawyers are kind of churned out in the thousands, that that's probably why this hasn't been, you know, kind of more prevalent or formed that foundation. The one disclaimer I want to make to people is and part of the reason why I think you're you're going in the direction that you're going is. I think a lot of people have this misconception that, like, you know, someone who considers themselves a sovereign citizen or someone who's a, a studier of natural law, that they can just walk into a courtroom when they're charged with something, and essentially cite the the precedents for, you know, natural rights and natural law, and then the judge will just be like, oh well, since you said that, like, you know, <laughs> there's no problem anymore. Um, but that's not the case, is it?
1: Well, <clears throat> it's not the case in practice. No, uh, in fact. You know, you've got a lot of, even if you had malicious intent, which I totally agree there is, you you just got, you know, a bastion of ignorance. And, you know, what that does is makes, like I said, it's like you go up with all this stuff and it's a wall that you're talking to because it doesn't mean anything to them. They don't understand it. And like you were saying before, you know, uh, kind of pumping out all these lawyers. Well, you know, even talking to my couple employees that we've had um, in you know, after reviewing all the information, all the, the different law and stuff that we've come across, um, you know, I've asked them, like, so how much of this are you familiar with? Like, they're like, none of it. They don't teach you any of this in law school. And it makes a lot of sense because what they're, again, we'll get to it, but uh, what they're learning is, you know, equity. So,
0: yeah. All um, right. Well, so I without further wanna, ado.
1: I do want to make a point just to, just to, on the, the uh, disclaimer, you know, Ben and everything, um that, uh, this is the research we're currently working on. So there's some of this stuff that's kind of undeniable, you know, there's nothing really that can be argued against it, but, um, this is a, this is a pretty good um, introduction to a lot of the stuff that we're looking into currently, That it looks like is what the case is. And we're, we're actively trying to verify it all.
0: Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to pull this up. So this is basically an overview and, um, You know if you can expand it and anyone who's at home if you can expand it fantastic if not um we'll make this available for you to be able to download it at some point um but so this is basically the bullet pointed list and the one thing that you wanted to make sure to tell everyone was each one of these bullet points is essentially a compendium of law in and of itself so just remember that um you know and and as you go through this i think everyone that hears this or if they watch the recorded version they should understand that each one of these bullet points is it's not just like some sentence somewhere i mean it is literally pages or case cases full of law that go into you know this statement and the way it is or or the way you're saying that it probably should be interpreted so um all right. So we're starting with hierarchy of law. So kind of tell me a little bit about the hierarchy of law and, and kind of the overview there.
1: Should I just go through it? Like, to the yeah, end? Go, go for it. Go for okay. it. All right. Well, yeah. So we call it the hierarchy of law, but uh, we find it's a pretty exciting thing because uh, it's something that makes our job a lot easier. Um, you know, a lot of good people are out there right now. They, they recognize something's wrong. They can see some issues, you know, they're doing what they can to, um, you know, fight the good fight and make changes where they can. And um, when you understand the hierarchy of law, you'll you'll see that actually a lot of these battles are even unnecessary. They're already won. And those efforts could be redirected to things that are a little more effective. And, uh, you know, such as jury nullification, which is what I want to talk about after after this. So anyways, um, I guess. just in a little nutshell you know um law there's an underlying hierarchy of authority that determines the force of any law Mm -hmm. so in the western political philosophy or you know legal political legal philosophy uh you've got god's laws and that's the height the top of the hierarchy Mm -hmm. and uh, that just translates essentially to natural law which includes things like gravity believe it or not but it also includes things (laughs) like uh the christian morality For example, or you know, which encompass common moral principles. And I've got a couple things on there like patience, good faith, and honor and dishonor. And um, so after uh, the natural laws, you've got man existing in the state of nature with other men. And um, man is not, or man is independent of all laws. And uh, with, uh, sorry, (laughs) except those prescribed by nature, he's not bound by any institutions formed by his fellow men without his consent. So you'd contrast this with a civil society, um, which acts in a political capacity as a body politic. Yeah. Um, so the next thing would be the body politic. And uh, in our specific instance, that's a republic where the sovereignty resides in the people. And in this in- or, and the people actually means members of the civil society. So, and, uh, so the sovereignty resides in the people and it resides in them in- individually rather than collectively, which we've yeah. kind of been led to believe and uh, so what do we mean by the sovereign we're just saying uh, it is a term for the highest authority in the political in the body politic um, so after that you've got the constitution and uh, a constitution is legislation direct from the people again that's members of the of the civil society um, and uh, acting in their sovereign capacity so right there you've got protection under the law protection under the constitution protection um, as the sovereign of the body politic and protection as a human, a natural human being on the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, just continuing, so uh, those laws which are made in pursuance of the Constitution come next. Um, Decisional law would be after that, and that's because it's been determined that it's the judiciary's duty to say what the law is. Um, After that, the next level's got three layers. So you've got federal statute concerning uh, was it matters in persons of federal jurisdiction, you've got state statute concerning matters in persons of state jurisdiction, and you've got courts concerning specific instances. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, you've got administrative law or public policy, and this is essentially concerning persons under the direction and control of either local, state, or federal governments. Um, So basically, after you understand the hierarchy of law, whenever you hear about, you know, this new bill is being passed or, or being debated on, or uh, you know that new decision's been handed down from some court here or there. It always has to be put back to the test. You know, um, you know, is something coming from an inferior authority contradicting something that comes from a, a superior authority? Because mm-hmm. if it does, it loses all of its force at law. It has no force, and so um, yeah, you can imagine. You know, how many battles are we fighting over? this or that legislation or whatever pass it have your time debate about it doesn't matter go do it and then when it comes to court it'll be destroyed because it has no
0: or at least it should be (laughs) well
1: that's what we're here to
0: make happen (laughs) awesome awesome yeah so um before we move on to courts um I, i i would imagine there's a number of cases now probably literally millions of cases where either the, the um, police officers that were involved, the attorneys involved, the judges involved, um, they never stopped to ask themselves whether or not the the law or the regulation that was in question um, was in violation of higher order law, correct?
1: I don't think they have even the slightest idea about how to understand the law. I mean, I took criminology, you know, in a very brief sense, you know, leaving after one semester. But what I some of the things I learned, you know, include that uh, as a police officer, you've got no discretionary authority. You do not um, make determinations about anything. You don't determine what the law means or this or that. You do. You enforce the law as you've been instructed. And the judge is the one who sorts out, well, both the prosecutor have an obligation as well as the judge has an obligation to sort it out after the fact. But I mean, you could imagine that sounds more of like a, um, like a practical career you know, uh, teaching, you know what I mean? Something that comes from trying to pump out some career police officers rather than mm-hmm. it does uh, people studying fundamentals of law like you might do with, well, like you'd imagine would happen with a law degree or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, so, uh, and and I'll uh, ask you one more question and then I'll stop hanging you up on this, but so would you say that right now we probably live in a system of law that is bottom up when it should really be top down?
1: Oh, very much so.
0: Okay. So, and, and for anyone who's watching, the clarification there being the, the, uh bottom up meaning the lower order law for some reason reason takes precedence nowadays as opposed to higher order where in when it, if it should be done accurately it should be done from the presence of you know does it violate um so what's the highest level is it god's law or, or um yeah so basically does it violate essentially god's law or or you know the highest level law um and if that answer is yes then you know then or, or you know, then you go further down the ladder. But if, if if the answer is no, then you basically have to stop because you can't then go further down the ladder um, to get to the lower end. But the way that we're doing it right now is we deal with some subservient or suborder law. And if that's broken, like the assumption is that you broke a law, which is pr- not proper, like it's supposed to go the other direction, but now we're going bottom up. So um, okay, cool. I, did I say anything wrong there?
1: No, I'll make even a couple of comments on that. You said really, sure. really good stuff. Um, I was going to say one of the reasons why that occurs is because when you're, uh, you know, learning, you know, when you're in school learning, the, uh, <laughs> uh, learning how to be a lawyer. Uh, there is major uh, focus given to precedents. So to courts setting, you know, a precedent. And that's that's like almost 100 percent on what they run with over there. Yep. You know what I mean? And um the problem with that is you could have a Supreme Court set a precedent that's not actually valid because, like you said, it comes in conflict with some higher authority, uh, yeah. but it's promulgated as you know the, author- the um, controlling decisional law because the Supreme Court passed it, which is an incorrect understanding of how the law works. But um, I was going to say uh, uh, one other part on that. Um, anyways maybe it'll come to me
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's okay we we got a lot to cover and we got a long time to do it so don't worry about that um all right so i held you up enough uh let's kind of move on to to courts. so once once we kind of like understand the hierarchy of law how do courts factor into it
1: so i was going to tell you that uh this is like the the idea about jury nullification so in order to tell you about jury nullification, yeah that's correct we got to go back to courts. so Mm -hmm. In a very fundamental sense, a court is an incorporeal being that's constituted by the person and suit of the sovereign. And that's just a lot of words to say, something very simple, which is it's a non-physical being. So it's not constituted by a physical building or by a particular location or anything like that, but rather the person, the physical body and the suit of the sovereign. So the suit, that's a word that we get from old English. So back when the King used to hold court, you know. Uh, there used to be members of the court who would you know, be there and observe the proceedings and they would act as a perpetual memory and testimony of what happened there. Mm-hmm. And they were referred to as courtiers. And uh, over time that name transferred to suitors and over time that, you know, they lost the end and it became just suit. And even the modern phrasing is just case. So all that means suit of the sovereign just means, you know, the case that actually prompted constituting the court in the first place. Okay. Um, so, uh, um, let's see. So, yeah, our courts are adopted from, oh, did you need to say something? No, 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 that's fine. Okay. Uh, so our courts are adopted from, you know, the English legal system. And uh, in, you might have read the Constitution and in Article 3, Section 2, you might have seen, you know, uh, the judicial power extends to all cases in law and equity. And you might have wondered, you know, what exactly is, uh, what exactly does that mean, law and equity? Yeah. Well, that actually just refers to um, two jurisdictions in the English legal system, uh, the law. So that's the common law jurisdiction and equity, the equity jurisdiction.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so uh, basically, in the past, the king, you know, they, England had the law and this was promulgated by the king and he established, you know, judges to uh, to enforce the law. And over time, you know, it became apparent that the king could not foresee every instance which his subjects might need, you know, uh, remedy under the law for whatever injustice. And so he created a new court, um, a new jurisdiction that where he empowered chancellors, not judges, but chancellors to dictate the law on the spot. And uh, they did this according to what their conscience, you know, said was fair and according to equitable justice. Yeah. So, uh in America, we have something very much the same. You know, we have an equity jurisdiction and our judges are empowered to dictate the law on the spot. Um, again, even if it's contrary to, uh, you know, statutory law or any other law, uh, they're they're enabled to do this so that the outcome is the most fair and most equitable. Yeah. So um, you'd contrast this, however, with a court of law. You know, in America, we've also got a court of law and that's a court proceeding according to the course of common law. But uh, a unique feature of a court of law is that um, the tribunal is separate and independent mm-hmm. of the magistrate designated to hold it. And I understand that's a lot of fancy words, so <laughs> i just tell you what that actually means. So a tribunal is uh, another word for the judge and a magistrate is defined as a public officer invested with some authority of the uh, legislative, executive or judicial branch of government. So in a court of law, Uh, the judge is supposed to be independent and separate of the public official.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So, um,
0: which means, so the, the fact that we have judges that are appointed, does that matter? Or, or, or maybe the appointed judges is probably the correct way and elected judges is wrong. How would you kind of sort that out?
1: Uh, nope. Doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, that's just a matter of how the judge gets selected. But okay. um, this, what we're talking about here is what role the judge is performing. Okay. So you might wonder if I've said in a court of law, you know, the judge is not the public official, so who's the judge, right? Well, that would be the jury. So in a court of equity, the jury is, um, is there to decide the fact and nothing else. That's their, that's their job. The judge, right. like I said before, is there to, te- to decide on the law. But in a court of law, the jury not only decides the fact, they decide as well as the law but they also decide um, you know, uh, on the morality of enforcing the law in that particular instance. Yeah. And this is where jury nullification comes in. So in a court of record, um, or, you know, that's what we call a court of law here. Um, w- you know, the jury is empowered to do that. However, mm-hmm. in a court of equity, uh, it's not so. So you might ask yourself, you know, which courts are courts of uh, record? Mm-hmm. Well, A whole slew of courts are courts of record, all the ones that you'd imagine. And uh, two, you know, most famous would be the municipal courts and the district courts. So how is it that you end up in courts of uh, equity if they're on the books as courts of record? Right. Like Mm -hmm. literally Montana statute. That's where I'm from. Uh, That's where we're operating. Yeah. Um, And so. uh, you find that when you answer a summons, right, you get the summons in the mail or you get it from the, the cop who left it with you or whatever, and you go to court to answer it, and they ask you, you know, do to do, do, whoever you are, you're charged with such and such, you know, do you plead not guilty, guilty or no contest? And what you're actually doing is saying, you know, uh, I agree to the uh, mode and measure of redress which is essentially the jurisdiction. And I plead not guilty or I agree to the jurisdiction and I plead guilty or I agree to the jurisdiction and I plead no contest. So what you would need to do in that instance is you would need to challenge jurisdiction because what this does is it it causes their court to not be able to actually move one step forward. You might understand like a motion, right? Filing a motion. That's the same thing as moving a step forward. It's the same verbiage, you know, Um, and they're not allowed to until they prove on the record uh, the authority of their jurisdiction. And uh, they have no authority to use discretion to ignore a lack of jurisdiction. And so, um, what you do if they continue on without proving jurisdiction is you countersue them in a court of
0: record. Mm.
1: Hmm.
0: And so that that is something that um, I, I think no one no one really ever hears, right? Like, though I think some of the people in the liberty movement understand the concept of. Like if if someone, especially a government official asks you a question and they're like, are you for or against it? Um, They're actually kind of bypassing, not that they necessarily have to, or maybe they should, but they're bypassing a step as to, you know, do you actually consent to enter into this decision in the first place? Right. But so by asking you, you know, yes or no, or guilty or innocent, um, they're they're kind of making an assumption or or. They're making you make the assumption that, you know, you're just stuck with this form of court and that you can't actually, you know, change the venue or change the jurisdiction when truthfully you can. And they're kind of doing something slimy and and not allowing you or informing you that you're essentially consenting to something that you don't know you're consenting to.
1: Well, I'd say two things to that. Uh, you're absolutely right. But on the one hand, like I said, there's a lot of ignorance. And so, you know, you can imagine they don't even understand what they're doing. You know, they don't understand the final nuance or the, the um, finer, you know, subtle nuances of the law. And so they, you know, they're like, they're like train wrecks, you know, <laughs> they're just continuous train wrecks. But the other thing I was going to say was that, you know, when um, when you're there, you know, I'll even do you one better, right? Uh, They, A public official is a fiduciary, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if a fiduciary um, withholds material information from you, from the public, uh, they're guilty of a fraud. Mm -hmm. So just them doing that, not only is it unconstitutional, not only is it, I mean, because they have to get your Here's another thing we're going to talk about later, although we're not going to cover it right now, um, are what makes a valid waiver. So you're going to learn that you can only a valid waiver is constituted by things like um, known known rights. So you can't have a waiver of an unknown right.
0: Um,
1: It has to be intentional um, an intentional like uh, abrogation of a known right or privilege. And um, it has to be done uh, with. Uh, voluntarily and with sufficient awareness. I think there's even one other requirement. And I think the word you were looking for earlier when you were saying like, they kind of force you to make a false, you know, a false thing. Well, it's actually, um, what they would call it is a presumption. They have created a presumption based on the fact that you have pled a certain way. Yeah. Um, or is it pleaded? Sorry. And, uh, you know, um, that presumption is actually another violation of the law because there is constructive notice. Uh, uh, there is a, a constructive notice against the the waiver of constitutional rights, or no, there's, sorry, there's a presumption against the waiver of constitutional rights. Mm. So any, any other presumption
0: that they could form,
1: uh, this other presumption would basically cause it to lose all its force.
0: Yeah. So they're supposed to err in your, well, I mean, like, again, the, the idea is that they're supposed to err in your favor right like but they don't yeah, that's another
1: thing yep that's yeah. even another set of it so if there's any particular doubt there's a lot of cases where this has come up uh in the in the event of doubt it's just supposed to be resolved in the citizens favor that's just how it's supposed to come down
0: mm-hmm. yeah You'll and, see it later, ho- and it, it hardly ever is right <laughs> oh well okay so
1: you do understand or maybe hopefully anyone who's ever sat in a courtroom has looked upon the situation and understood that this is a racket. This is a business. They're, you know, they're here to make the money, you know, even just like how much time you're going to take for them to get the money extorted out of you is a matter of, you know, cost benefit uh, chart. They're running over here in their head. You know what I mean? Like watch them interact with the, uh, watch them interact with the um, homeless population versus people who pay money. You'll see a whole different story.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they, they roll them through. There's no financial incentive, right? So it's just like, yeah.
1: You mean it out? Yep. It's, it's really, yeah. yeah. It's so, man.
0: uh, all right. So, uh, as far as courts, is that everything or did we leave anything out? Yeah, No, that's it. Okay. All right. So that's courts. All right. So then we have, uh, another, th- uh, a third section here and I'm going to pull the outline up again. The third section is <laughs> specifically about, um, what? What constitutes a U.S. citizen or is it what constitutes?
1: No, well, actually, so a better heading. Sorry, that heading is just some specifics that are in there. But um, that's fine. This is uh, something uh, you might say just like abuse of uh, legal terminology. So, OK, do um, you want me to tell you about it? Yeah, I'm ready to go. I can tell. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go for it. Well, it's probably one of the more significant things that we found. And that's just because, um, you know, we've had the opportunity to take a few of these ideas to court or to actually try to utilize them. And we've seen the um, the reaction or we've we've received in response, you know, um, what authority, what legislative authority they claim um, gives them the power to do the actions they're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, on all of the different material that they've provided, we've been able to find that they're definitely incorrect. Um, and, and so it's really great. Uh, so, you know, most of what they use to justify um, violations of individual rights are really a matter of um, abusing the construction of legal terminology. And I understand you may not be familiar with the term construction as I've used it, but mm-hmm. that essentially just means constru- the act of construing, interpreting, or explaining. So um, through the abuse of construction of legal terminology, uh, they create a veil thin you know a, a thin veil of uh, legitimacy behind which they violate individual rights. Mm. So like for instance, I guess we, if you want to go through it, uh, the first one there is um, the term person, and it includes only the corporate artificial entity, but not the natural born human being. According to the fundamental principles of law, almost all laws, regulations, and statutes that refer to the person do not refer to the natural person and do not extend any lawful jurisdiction over them.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. So another one of those uh, is a 14th Amendment citizen, a U.S. citizen. It's Mm -hmm. actually a property of the federal government in the form of a franchise and uh, as a corporate entity. And a franchise is a special privilege as um, conferred by government and uh something interesting in excise tax is a tax on corporate privileges so um an income tax is an excise tax so when you're there filling out your w-4 you know and you're saying on there that you're a u.s citizen you're actually you know telling them or creating what i have uh creating an excise tax liability on the basis that as a u.s citizen you're a corporate entity so um uh Occupations which are of common right, so that's just any of the common occupations of life, though, cannot legally be taxed and excised. So, um, this is because income is defined to mean gain, and gain is something that you get without giving anything up. Um, So, like... uh, you get nothing in return for that. So if you're at a job and, you know, you're, you're laboring away, you're exchanging your labor for, for compensation. I mean, listen to the word compensation. It's literally compensating for what you've given up. And so, um, compensation or so wages, salaries and, um, compensation for services have been held that they are not income within the meaning of the law. Um, so let's see here. So now,
0: is that another situation where you're basically um, unknowingly signing away a status? Like so, yep. like you you bring up the example of filling out your W-4. So the actual act of filling out the W-4 is kind of signing away tax-protected status that you would normally it's, have.
1: It's creating a false presumption, and exactly what you said. Yep, it does take away a, a tax-exempt status. So you might see. I might. I have written there. Uh, revenue laws relate to taxpayers and not to non-taxpayers okay. that's actually in the law so you ever wonder why it is that you can't you know find the the tax paperwork that helps you to say that you're not exposed to any tax liability it's because they don't create tax forms for you there's no reason why they should be targeting you and thus there's no reason why you should have to explain why you don't need to be targeted by them but it's so crazy <laughs> the ignorance that and the racket, they're targeting everybody so
0: yeah okay Uh, all right so then you have um, what the next point is US citizen versus du jour
1: yeah so you'd contrast US citizen with a du jour citizen of one of the states of the Union or a natural born human being so for instance a US citizen upon leaving the District of Columbia becomes involved in interstate commerce as a resident and does not have the common law right to travel of a citizen of one of the several states so this would expose you to the police power Right. Hmm. Um, uh, so how's our time looking? Are we doing OK for? Yeah, we're doing right. We're, good. we're OK. 20, 20 comes. OK, so the next one I have here is just that Title 26 of the United States Code uh, defines state as the District of Columbia for purposes of income taxes. Uh, trade or business is defined in Title 26, uh, the US Code, as functions of a public office. So when you're there at your job, you know, are you performing the functions of a public office? Then you're not participating in a trader or, or um, business. Or yeah. I'm sorry, a trader.
0: Uh, a <laughs> uh, yeah, trader it, business, right? Yeah. But so, but so in that case, I, I guess we could delve into what constitutes a public office. I think most people would assume that means
1: well, getting you know, that
0: elected mean, or publicly funded.
1: It doesn't. It actually means um, the key test is whether or not uh, the uh, position exercises some uh sovereign authority of government okay so a ceo that actually would of a corporation right having Mm -hmm. their charter powers and their existence actually you know caused by the state Mm -hmm. they would be included within that you know but so would a government official and so on
0: okay All right, and then uh, the next one is what employee being defined as an elected or appointed officer or employee. That means basically what? Just the the C-suite are technically employees. Everyone else isn't.
1: Uh, I didn't hear your question. Could you maybe restate it?
0: Yeah, sure. But- so the next point, Title uh, Title Twenty Six. Huh? Um, says that basically an employee is defined as an elected or appointed officer or employee. So that essentially means that, what, in a business, it's just the C-suite, like the senior officers that are technically employees, everyone else isn't?
1: Exactly. Yeah. See, I didn't, I've never heard that word before, C or that term C-suite, but yeah, that's correct. Yep. You got it right on the head. But it, you know, as it also includes government officials. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, All right. What do you got after that?
1: Uh, so I guess, and so that's the code of federal regulations in case you didn't know what the CFR stood for, but in title 18 of us code, uh, the, ter- get this, this is my favorite one. The territorial jurisdiction of the United States is actually defined to include only lands outside the boundaries of those belonging to any of the 50 States of the union.
0: So, <laughs> right? well, th- this is like, uh, this is like the articles of confederation versus the constitution here. Right. So like, in a way, in
1: a way may I, may I recall? go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So actually um, what I was going to say is uh, just the same way that you're thinking, you know, about these, the, the heads of those, uh, gov- um, companies, right. Um, the territorial jurisdiction, um, it wouldn't simply be, um, It it is true that it's the lands outside or outside of those belonging to the 50 states, but it doesn't mean that a federal, um, you know, a federal person couldn't enter into those 50 states and still maintain or be the object or have liability to the federal government or the federal laws. So that's generally what you're looking at, like a person incorporating, you know, their business, you see what I mean, or... Like well, this also goes hand.
0: This also goes hand in hand with the Tenth Amendment, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. essentially, uh, it's it's trying to maintain state sovereignty. Now, uh, in terms of, and again, we're kind of digging into this. We'll we'll dig into it at a later date. But does the timing of well, this also matter? Does it have to do with like the Louisiana Purchase or anything like that?
1: Uh, I'm not familiar with what you mean, but what you said just now makes me think that maybe I didn't actually clarify that properly. Okay. But uh, just to try again, um, the The ability. So what you're seeing, right, what I just showed you is that the the territorial jurisdiction is outside the the States of the Union. Right. So you're thinking, oh, wait, but what about all these people being exposed to this? Right. So -hmm. I'm trying to introduce you to the fact that it's not just um, based on where. Where the jurisdiction is, the jurisdiction can also be based on a person. So even though you know what I mean, so that person, if they go into some other jurisdiction, so like um, Julian Assange, right it's mm-hmm. um, gone into another jurisdiction of another nationality or I, mm-hmm. I apologize he's come back or, or whatever the case is but um when he did that right they're still maintaining control over him you know what i mean if they could right. get him back you know that's what they would do so the idea is is just that even though they're going into the state jurisdiction um they're still an object of you know they still have liability to the federal government but again okay. as we've kind of discussed most of that is based on false premises and and presumptions at law that they are not actually legally allowed to make.
0: Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Um, All right. Uh, What what is a driver? (laughs) So
1: a driver is actually defined as um, operating or an individual operating an automobile uh, for the purposes, for commercial purposes, and it excludes explicitly the operation for um, private non-commercial purposes. So you can imagine how many of us, you know, like, oh, you're going to go, you're going to drive to the store. You want to drive, you want to you know, take a drive down to the lake or like all of us, we use this and they do this intentionally. There's a, a, um, an obvious historical record of the perversion of dictionaries, both legal and common, where you can see that it's just it's just totally a, 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 a scheme you know, and, uh, and, you know, we all use the verbiage, the incorrect language, and we don't know any better. We don't know to check the definitions at law. And so the, you know, you can imagine the consequences. We all think we're talking about the same thing when really, like, you know, it's not at all.
0: Yeah. And and so this kind of goes hand in hand with the next point, right, of a motor vehicle Uh, It excludes operation of anything like an automobile for private non-commercial purposes. So basically like me getting in my car and driving to the grocery store, I am not technically a driver um, as as it relates back. And I'm also technically not in a motor vehicle.
1: That is correct. You are operating an automobile. And in fact, it's actually a jury question uh, whether the automobile is a, a motor vehicle at the time. Yeah. So the controlling the controlling case, uh, I believe, says um, the primary use to which the vehicle or to which the automobile is put is uh, what controls. So if for the most, if for 51 percent of the time you use it for commercial purposes, then it would be. And if for 49 percent of the time it would not be. But again, it would be a legal presumption, you know, that allowed them to stop. So the first thing out of their mouth would be, you know, confirming. With evidence from a competent source that would be you because they don't know your mind they don't know where you're going or what you're doing so they cannot provide a testimony which is competent to any degree it cannot be considered competent evidence and uh, that's all the information the ticket that they give you it's actually an affidavit uh, but it's called information and that's that testimony on there is a sworn testimony uh, basically saying this is what you know is uh, the case so that if the the cop was found to be lying uh they would be guilty of perjury right and Mm. this is how our legal system stays you know good to go because everybody has uh everybody's liable to what they do there and so um you know but but they use that information uh that piece of paper called an information um as an affidavit as credible competent evidence when there's no possible way because they don't know your state of mind and they didn't ascertain the fact you know but we'll get into all of that when we when we kind of delve into that particular <laughs> that
0: Yeah, particular. no, that I that's gonna be a good one. I'm I'm sure yeah. a lot of people will be interested in that information. Um okay, and what's the last bullet point you have there before number four that's, four says? I just is... want to say that's
1: really great because that's actually our first project with our employees uh, currently working on. So okay. we're really excited about that one. Awesome. Uh yeah, so oh you know what? I I just that one is kind of a little <laughs> I could <can> read it. <laughs> Uh, so the term includes, used in mm-hmm. statute, is a word of limitation, as well as expansion. It expands by introducing the specific elements constituting the enlargement. It thus and thus only enlarges the otherwise more limited preceding general language. So that, I figured it was going to be too difficult for people to understand that I was just going to skip it, but uh, I have a pretty good um, illustration, if, if I might... Um, So you could say you could say um, the term fruit includes is defined to include apples. And by saying this, you would also be by using the word includes, you would be expanding the definition as well as limiting it. And in the sense that you'd be expanding it, you would be saying, you know, um, any other type of fruit as well as apples are also fruit. So oranges could be fruit and uh, bananas could be fruit. But, you know, corn or a car, those could not be fruit. And so as you use the word includes, it limits based on Apple. What is the general category that Apple falls into that allows you to determine, you know, what the other, the other things that are included within that category are also included. So
0: let me, let me like, let me call time out and just like kind of like put it into what I would say is my own words. okay? Okay. So if I have a group of things and I want to expand on that group of things, I will say this group of things is whatever includes or including this other thing. And you're saying that the one other thing that you're including is kind of like the filter, it's the measuring stick by which you're allowed to increase that group of previous things. And so there's not kind of like this without bound aspect to it, right? Like there is only a very small or or finite amount of expansion of that first group of things based off of that one thing I'm adding. Does that, is that kind of right?
1: Yes. And the limitation to that expansion is again, that category. So like another example might be, um, that you could say numbers include one, two, three, four, Mm -hmm. and using the word include, you know, uh, you're saying it also includes, you know, five, six, seven, eight and so on, but you would not be saying that it includes A, B, C, D. Does that make right. sense? So, yes.
0: Yeah. So, that's so how, how does that factor into say like a situation where I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me it's improperly used? Because people will,
1: people include, and especially law enforcement and the judiciary will read, um, they will read include in statute, and they will think uh, that it's expansive without okay. any limitation.
0: Okay. All right. So uh, before you give me a good example of that, looks like you have a family member, S. Hinkle, who's watching. And yes, there will be a recorded version later on um, that you can watch. So awesome. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, so um, I would imagine that has to do with what, an expansion of liability? Is that typically the way it's used or is it used in a different way?
1: Um, When you say liability, are you just saying trying to get you for something else? You know, trying to expand you included in the definition when you otherwise should not be included in it?
0: Correct, yes. Yeah. and
1: yeah, accurate, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. So I'm I'm pretty sure there's a number of instances that that happens, correct?
1: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, even just like... uh, like the term uh trader business so like i said it's uh includes it's the performance of a a function functions of a public office well the way it actually reads is it includes the functions of a public office but you can scour the entire title 26 the internal revenue code and you will not find another uh definition or um, qualifying statement that defines what trader business means so it's just you know sneaky sneaky that's all it is they've really done work and they've had a lot of.
0: so you're saying when it says trader business including public office and then it doesn't give you a definition elsewhere technically that should revert to just a definition that means public office
1: right right yeah and only things that also come within that you know genus or category
0: yeah okay all right makes sense awesome okay so that's kind of like some more specific um, definition type work, I guess that that we can look at. Um, the next section you have is legal remedy. So we're talking remedy in terms of what an in, an in individual's ability to, uh, you know, hold be government. punished or or sue the government.
1: Um, to hold the government accountable, I
0: would say. Okay, okay.
1: So, right, so what does that for, start off with? Um, so let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. So I was going to say I, I pretty much was just going to read through these because they're they're almost exactly word for word taken from many different cases. And, uh, um, you know, from like I have written here, established decisional statute or legal principle. So it's pretty much as straightforward as it can be, but if, if you want me to stop on any particular one and, and talk about it or explain it a little more, please just just let me know and I'll do that. Go for but it. yeah, so the first one there I think is the best. So um, it's the duty of all magistrates to exercise the power vested in them with zeal and fidelity. Fidelity is defined as accuracy in details and is often a condition of the oath of office. So they're actually oath bound to, to be accurate in the details, Um, of the construction of legal terminology, like we were just talking about. So, like, um, you can imagine how significant this is, right? The fact that they are actually required to know what all the words mean. They're required to have accuracy in the detail of every single definition that they're using. And to not do so is a violation of their public oath or, you know, their oath of office. So it's a pretty hilarious, like, got you by the, you know, cojones (laughs) cojones situation
0: <laughs> I'd say so
1: <laughs> yeah so um the next thing is uh, a public official is an employee and the execution of the oath of office is essential to the status of de jure employment the lack of which precludes the right to compensation for services rendered so essentially if the public official doesn't execute his oath he's not an employee and he loses the right to be compensated for uh, his services so um, awesome Yeah, right. You could imagine that would probably change quite a few minds, make them, you know, stand up and pay attention. (laughs) Most definitely. (laughs) Um, Officials and judges cannot claim to act in good faith in deprivation of law. So they can't say, you know, I think that I'm pretty sure this is what the law is. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move forward because I'm pretty confident and uh, and not check it. They are required to check it. There is no claim. Well, that is to say, they're not required to check it, but they're certainly opening themselves up to legal liability if they don't. So, um, and,
0: and that, and that I think, and I'm sorry if I'm stealing your thunder from later on, but that can also be up to and include personal liability, right?
1: Um, oh, well, it's all individual. Well, here, look, okay. So I wasn't going to talk about this, but in a nutshell, like the government can do no wrong. The government is a perfect entity and the way that works is that any any agent acting in the name of the government who does some kind of illegal act or who causes some kind of um, violation of individual liberty, uh, they're actually acting under color of law. And we'll I'll talk about that a little later. There's a definition in there, but um, they they would be sued in their individual capacity and not in their um, official capacity. And that's really important. So that means, you know, no, you don't get, you know, the fancy uh, state de- defender. You don't get, you know, the this or that. You don't get all the support that you got. You don't, um, you know, you don't get to have the state pay for it if it, you know, which is really the citizens, right? Mm-hmm. You don't get, if, if you're found guilty or if there's some settlement or whatever, you don't get to have the state pay for it. That's all out of pocket. So you better pay attention to what you're violating, not violating,
0: you know. I, I, I wish that was applied more uh i <laughs> more, more consistently.
1: <laughs> well, you'll see, you'll see there's a big, uh, we're going to get to it, but there's, you know, qualified, this thing with qualified immunity, man, everybody really has the wrong take on that. But yeah. if we go through this, you'll see what I mean. When we get to it, I'll, I'll point it out. You'll see. Okay, cool. Okay. So, um, in fact, I think it might even be like one of the next couple, um, an officer or let's see when lawsuits are brought against federal, no, wait, where am I?
0: Uh, very top Um, of the page there's no such thing as ignorance
1: there's no such thing as ignorance of the law and it even come they even have said this that um officials and judges pleadings to this effect are ludicrous i just got such a kick out of that um so public officials are under constructive notice and implied notice to understand all of what we've talked about so far um okay so yeah um a neglect on the part of a magistrate to exercise the functions of his office when required by law is a misdemeanor. Uh, when lawsuits are brought against federal officials, they must be brought in their individual capacity and not their official capacity. When federal officials perpetrate constitutional torts, they do so ultravires, or beyond the powers, and they lose the shield of qualified immunity. So that right there, and there's a lot of case law behind this, but um, a lot of people have the idea. Like, I mean, I saw this tweet from Kamala Harris. That was like, we need to end qualified immunity so that we can get justice for excessive force and these other, and this, this, and this, these other things that were just already against the law, which are like, you don't get to have the shield of immunity. So you can just imagine the ignorance that is going on, or maybe it's all just a play, right? You know, what can we say to keep the racket going?
0: We are saying it's basically a mirage that everyone thinks is there and keeps fighting and really, we don't have to, like, it's not even there. Right. Yeah, like It's it's. Absolutely. So um, and the other thing that this brings to mind is, um, uh, well, in, in a lot of capacities, uh, public officials ask the public entity that they're they're working for to essentially give them coverage or protection in their official capacity. And what you're saying yep. that the, the law actually doesn't allow that. So even if they officially right. extend that coverage, they're not allowed to
1: Nope. And so, well, here's the thing. There may be a case. See, like it says, you're supposed to bring the case in its um, official capacity, I'm sorry, in its individual capacity, suing them in their individual capacity and not official. And so it would be completely justified. I can imagine potentially I have not read all the um, ab- you know cases that are apparently abusing qualified immunity, but it could be potentially that, you know, one of those instances there's, um, you know, uh, someone not suing the right entity so you're not suing the police officer such and such you're suing the individual such and such and that small difference you know will make a judge say nope that entity has no liability to you and another judge in, in the other question right or the same judge with the other question would say yep absolutely that guy acted beyond his capacity you know you know what i mean i you. Gotcha. Um, yeah so
0: um yeah um Can't I think uh, the next couple of ones are are in line with that, right? Like an officer can be held liable for damages to any person injured in consequence.
1: Yeah. So this one is actually uh, interesting. It's um, it's pretty significant because wait, hold on. Um, okay. So this one has to do with the breach of his duties. So if there was anything that he, you know, was required by law to do or that was in his job description and he didn't do, then that would be, so this is just another cause for, or, you know, way that they could be open to liability for how they're performing their job. Okay. So uh, in, um, uh, in cases where officers act without authority or delegated power, a claim of error in the exercise of that power is not sufficient. So that, I think I find that pretty significant that, Mm -hmm. you know, Like you may not, you know, you can't act in good faith. You now, you know, you are under constructive notice to know the law, you're oath bound to understand what all the different you know, intricate aspects of the law are. Um, you don't get to, you know, since you're oath bound to do that and you don't do that, you don't get to claim, you know, that you, um, you know, get to have your pension or any of the checks you've been collecting. Uh, and you've actually got to pay for these legal damages that you've just done. And, uh, you know, in this particular one, you can't even say, like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. It was an accident. You know, like, nope, that doesn't apply. <laughs> uh, you went beyond your authority. And so it'd be like, it'd be like, um, it'd be like someone who went to rob something and their gun went off when they didn't intend for it to and they killed someone. And then they went to say, oh, I didn't mean to kill them um, because they, they can't claim error in robbing the store. Oh, I didn't mean to rob the store better. You yeah. see what I mean? It's almost like yes. that. You yes. know. So uh, <laughs> um oh, let's see, I keep losing my spot. I'm sorry. Um so oh get this one. Or okay, so this one is great. So this one, if an officer or um if an officer of the government wrongfully takes or holds specific property to which the plaintiff has title, then his taking or holding is a tort. And that yeah, it just it just means a cause to go to court, file an action. Um And illegal as a matter of general law, whether or not it be within his delegated powers. Do you get that? Yes. Yeah. So that basically
0: means that um, uh, it basically means that uh, police confiscating, you know, uh, say, you know, personal property can be held personally liable regardless of whether or not it's within their role.
1: Yes. Exactly, because uh, the authority above them giving them their role cannot authorize them to violate the Constitution or the laws or or so on.
0: Awesome. All yeah. right.
1: Mm-hmm. So get this one, dude. This is so great. So there's a few that go along with this one, but I just put it with one sentence. But shall, right, so the term shall used in statute may be interpreted as may in order to avoid unconstitutional doubt.
0: Let me wrap my head around that one. All right, so shall in a statute can or, or may be interpreted, not must, but may be interpreted as may in order to avoid unconstitutional doubt. So basically, in a situation where the constitutional uh, the constitutional rights of the individual are at question as to whether or not they've been violated, anything that says "shall" that's like black and white should now not should but may be interpreted um, in a different way so as to avoid that unconstitutional doubt. So this is that error on the side of the individual. Is that right? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, The other ones that say um, err on the side of the citizen, those are all in themselves. This one is another one that just goes along with it, that, you know, it just essentially is, you know, I just like it because uh, as far as constitutional doubt, so it's not a matter of whether it is or isn't constitutional. It's literally like it's up for debate. You know, we're not sure whether it is or isn't. And even those are, you know, The judges are empowered and the you could imagine this is also the the um, officer, right? Because the officer reads the statute. He's got to employ the law, right? He he must enforce it. That's his job. But if the law allows him to change shall, he can easily say, you know what? I actually not um, required to do this. Uh, You may or you may not, you know.
0: That's I and, and you know what? What's funny is the majority of them. Uh, almost make the assumption the other direction they make the assumption that they have to interpret it as shall because if they don't then on appeal or something like that they might have one of their rulings overturned um but this is essentially saying that the that that you know agent in the state or whatever or, or that kind of like magistrate or whatnot really has the the power to interpret it in the favor of the individual and then what's funny is like and again you know, for anyone who's watching like this, this is why it's so complicated. And correct me if I'm wrong, Josiah, but this also relates back to earlier parts of it, right? So if they do choose to to interpret it as shall, but then they do it improperly to the detriment of the individual, they could then become personally liable for that ruling. Is that right?
1: Oh, Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And I wouldn't awesome. say they
1: could become, if, if your premise was that they did violate it, right? It's not that they could become, they would be liable. And it would just be a matter of you going to court to like cash in on that liability to hold them accountable.
0: Wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, no, we could definitely dive into that later. That's, that's really powerful. Um, yeah. All right. So what about this one? Person in statute.
1: Is ordinarily meant to exclude the sovereign. So when you, heard, when you hear, you know, you're reading the statute, like the motor vehicle one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. A person will register a motor vehicle or I don't even know what it says, but, you know, such and such, right? And uh, like ordinarily that's meant to exclude the sovereign. So, you know, to what degree does that enable them to enforce it on normal people going about their private business? Well, it makes sense for a commercial entity, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't have the right to, you know operate a commercial business on the roadways without permission from the state um, and so you know um, uh,
0: but so that basically means that the 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 assumption here is that whenever it says person it the the default is to exclude the sovereign that hasn't essentially established themselves as a person which we earlier said on does not have the definition that most people think it does. Right.
1: Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Sorry, I kind of trailed off there.
0: No, that's okay. That's all right.
1: Um, and then the, the next one is
0: an intangible right to honest service. What does that mean?
1: Uh, Just that, well, it's just like we mentioned before, you know, uh, common moral principles like goodwill, or I'm sorry, not goodwill, good faith. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially, that just means, you know, action taken without, you know, malice or intent to defraud. Um, So it's just like a genuine action. So you can imagine, you know, as I make a contract with you or something, you know, like if if I go to uh, meet a friend, you know, in the park and and we arrange to do that, um, I'm not, you know, arranging that meeting so that I can, you know, attack them or take advantage of them or something. I'm genuinely wanting to meet them in the park and there's no malice or fraud that's going into that behavior. So the idea of, uh, of the intangible right to honest services is kind of linked to that. That everything, okay. uh, all interactions require good
0: faith. Okay, awesome. All right, let's 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 uh, move on down the list here.
1: All right, so um, to take away all remedy for enforcement of a right is to take away the right itself, but that is not within the power of the state. And so if you remember when I was talking to you in the beginning about um, how I got these law books, right? So like I got... Um, constitutional law uh, practices or poli- practices and policy, and I got like a few different um, West Group books, like uh, you know, um, tort law and uh, um, yeah. And there's a few different different books and some legal diction and a legal dictionary. That's the seventh edition Black's Law, and it wasn't until I went back to fifth edition edition where I started to see some really good stuff. And uh, but. Um, yeah, so like I said, you know, reviewing all these books, they kind of left you just like hopeless. Like, there's nothing you can do. There's no teeth here, you know? And so that right there, that resonated with me so, so significantly because it's like what they've done is to take away our ability to enforce and assert our rights. And that's not even within their, you know, power to
0: do. So that, that's incredible.
1: Awesome. I know. Right? Okay. So the next one if the state converts a right, or otherwise known as a liberty into a privilege the state can ignore the license and uh sorry ignore the license sorry i've kind of got the sun in my eyes so i can't see <laughs> that's okay ignore the license and fee and engage in the right with impunity so do you hear that
0: yeah so it's basically um so you know when so for instance uh just taking the driver's license example, right? Yeah. And the the fact that if you are not technically considered a driver or operating a motor vehicle, that if the state tries to turn that right of operating that automobile um, into a privilege, that you just have the right to completely ignore it um, and any fee that's associated with it.
1: As well as with impunity. And what that means is there's no possible legal liability that could go along with it.
0: Hmm. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So um, the next one, when a judge acts as a trespasser of the law, when a judge does not follow the law, the judge loses subject matter jurisdiction and the judge's orders are not voidable, but void and of no legal force
0: or effect. Um, So essentially, if a judge commits any kind of infraction, you know, up to and including these things that we've talked about before. That essentially avoid it voids out that judge's authority. Yeah. So think about this,
1: right? So when the proper definition of person doesn't actually include, you know, what you are, mm-hmm. um, and they're trying to expose you to that stat, the liability of that statute, right? Mm-hmm. They're actually breaking the law because they're 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 imposing the law on someone who has no liability to it. And wow, okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and I hope. I hope that I'm. I'm sure it was very obvious. But I, I. really just love the not voidable, but void. So it doesn't need any higher authority. It doesn't need any determination. On its face, it is void and of no legal
0: uh, force or effect. So. Yeah. Um, that doesn't get more exact than that.
1: <laughs> right. Right. So um, a public official is a fiduciary toward the public and if he deliberately conceals material information from them, he's guilty of fraud. So that's what I was telling you about earlier. And it goes even better than this. On the next one, silence can be, I'm sorry, silence can only be equated with fraud when there's a legal or moral duty to speak or when an inquiry left unanswered would be intentionally misleading. How many times? I don't know if you've ever, like, um, are you familiar with the tax movement? Like Aaron Rousseau and Freedom to Fascism, um, a little bit, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, you can—I don't know if you remember—you know—that movie in detail, but dude, he's standing there in on like the floor of the IRS, talking to these different officials, saying, "Is there a law that makes just a normal individual liable to the income tax?" Because they found much what we found, right? That yeah, the income tax is an excise tax, and it it, it can't—you can't apply that; you cannot apply that to occupations of common right. So um, you know they're there for a good I don't know twenty minutes of the video so it's overly edited they're probably there all day but they're like can you tell us the law is there a law you know and none none of the times they're like blocking the cameras and pushing people out of the building they're like you can't film here but not at one not a single time did they take the question seriously and answer it and so this this thing right here um, an inquiry left unanswered would be intentionally misleading holy cow right
0: that's That's exactly what they
1: did yeah exactly it's like breaking the law so i as i study all this stuff just to give you guys like oh man what what gets me so fired up about it is that like the law solves all the problems that there are like granted there are some practical issues we've got to face there's ignorance out to wazoo you know all that but like as you read the law it's it's beautiful it's like perfect already you know what i mean and you can see so many issues already that you could solve if the law was actually properly enforced and intelligently obeyed.
0: Hmm. No, that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah. The next one has to do with fraud. Okay, so
1: fraud desto- destroys the validity of everything into which it enters. So do you remember it was saying that uh, if they withhold material information from you, right, it's considered a fraud. So yeah. for them to say you... um say you actually did do something and i don't know well i'm not i'm not a legal um expert so i can't i can't say like definitively right i'm just Mm -hmm. i'm just like yeah um but essentially the way that i see this is like um if you do something like you are speeding and they they pull you over and give you a speeding ticket right and then um later uh you went to court and uh, you know maybe you even pled guilty. You were like, yeah, I was speeding, they caught me, I'm not gonna argue it, and all of that. But the fact that the DMV did not tell you that it's a natural right to operate an automobile at the same hmm. time that you were there under the impression that you had to get the driver's license in order to operate an automobile, uh, that's a fraud. So everything from that, or say, we don't even focus on that fraud, right? Let's say all the way now we're back to the judge before the judge, you know, does the thing and um, the judge doesn't tell you, you know, oh, you've now entered into a court of equity or by by agreeing to the statutory jurisdiction, that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, that would be a fraud. So even if there was, even if the DMV was to say, hey, you know, you gave up your, or, well, you're, you don't. But if it would be the case that they were to say, hey, did you know you have the uh, right to operate an automobile uh Mm -hmm. without any license and you were like yes i do i'd love to get the license anyways and you got the license and then you were speeding and then you're pulled over and you do all this and you get to the judge and the judge didn't tell you about the court thing right yeah if he withheld withheld that intentionally that would be a fraud and it would go all the way back you see what i mean it doesn't mean it wouldn't have the license i just mean it would affect it would affect that entire proceeding
0: well, yeah, well, so they couldn't stand on the fact that you volunteered to get the license when at a certain point during that proceeding, you were essentially defrauded, um, right. which I love about it. Uh, I wish it was consistently applied, but yeah, no, I, I, well, I think that's fantastic.
1: Imagine, you can imagine education is really the key here,
0: right? Yeah.
1: So advocacy to a certain point, you know, we're, we're going to bring our, you know, dotted dotted i's and cross t's and our best you know reputation put that forward to go talk to the government we're going to try to set things straight but really uh our organization is thinking that the solution is going to be a long-term solution and it's going to come from primarily educating the public and as those you know high school and college graduates go into professional degrees or practice um they're going to start they're going to be able to you know bring this knowledge to the forefront of uh, practice right and the people who are kids at that point as they grow up and as they become exposed to the system this way or that way you know uh, they will be in a position to demand from the government the proper enforcement of the
0: law awesome yeah no i i i, I love that um do you have time we're going we're past an hour so do you have any more time I,
1: I have totally
0: enough time to finish this up, if you'd like. Okay. All right. So the next one we have has to do with extortion.
1: Yes. So extortion uh, in the Hobbs Act is defined as the obtaining of property from another with his consent induced by wrongful use of actual or threatened force, violence, or fear, or under color of official right. So that's the main one that we like to look at. So color of law, that's the next line. Um, is defined as the appearance or semblance without the substance of legal right. Misuse of power, possessed by virtue of state law, and made possible only because the wrongdoer is clothed with authority of the state. So <laughs> this is essentially all of the instances where an officer or a judge or prosecutor or whomever it is says, I have the authority to do this, violate your rights, X, Y, Z, uh, and um yeah, that's called color of law and it's uh, extortion.
0: And you're, like, and you're like, no, you absolutely freaking do not. <laughs> you do, you do as long as you want
1: to be liable for extortion, yeah.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: everything everything comes down to liability. You know what I mean? What can you hold them accountable to? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I love these last two. So these are 18 U.S.C. They're kind of cumbersome, I know. But let me let me read them out to you. So section 241. Conspiracy against rights. If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, um, possession, or district in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or the laws of the United States, or because of his having so exercised the same, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both, or may be sentenced to death.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. hold on, do you want to do the second one for, uh, yeah. first? or no, let's,
1: do let's do it, so section okay.
0: 242,
1: deprivation of rights under color of law, right? We were just talking about color of law. Whoever yep. under color of any law, statute, ordinance, regulation, or custom, even custom, right, even custom, mm-hmm. willfully subjects any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district, to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured or protected by the Constitution or laws of the United States, shall be fined under this title, imprisoned for any term of years or for life, or both, or may be sentenced to death.
0: <laughs> this is like, um, th- this is like the validation for people during the French Revolution bringing out the guillotines. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> Like, Under understanding that there needs to be a legal process here, but you know what
1: actually? You know what's really cool? Could I take like a two-minute tangent? Go for it. Um something that's actually really cool that's the cause for most of our, you know, enslavement is actually the Fourteenth Amendment. So originally, you know, what you had were states um when they, when they passed the 13th Amendment, the states maintained, you know, abusing um, black people by passing different codes and statutes that were definitely violative of their rights. And then when it came to the juries, right, in courts of law, it hadn't been perverted by that point, but in courts of law, the juries would uphold the law and violate mm-hmm. rights and say, nope, you've got no recognized rights, you know? So what they did was invented the 14th Amendment and that created a new class of citizen, right? As we said, it's a property, a franchise of the federal government. Now, if you're messing with federal property, if you go blow up a federal building, do you wanna know what's gonna come down on your head? It's like all the force of the federal government, right? hundred percent. Right. Well, that's what happened, right? They're, they're actually offering to, citizen, um, to citizens, black people, the ability to have all this protection, right, Um, for the ability to live their lives, you know, unencumbered by what these states were trying to do. And uh, eventually that ended up being directed toward uh, Native Americans in the allotment and assimilation period. And uh, basically eroded a lot of their uh, sovereignty and then it was directed at white people. And now we've just got the whole slew of it. Essentially, uh, in the 50s, it, you know, became about business and corporations. So that whole occupations of common right things covered up but yeah so it's pretty interesting uh,
0: <laughs> that that's also you know what's what's interesting about that too is you made me think about the fact that and maybe this is not an, a valid argument but i mean you could make the argument at least back then that anyone who committed an atrocity against um someone who fell under the 14th amendment that they were essentially what damaging federal property or, yes, or a, a person exactly,
1: of the federal government exactly the argument yep that was exactly it yeah. that was how they ended up being protected but then you see how the government ended up abusing black people right and then yeah. now we've got civil liberties civil liberties which are just a reestablishment in the civil you know uh authority of the natural laws that were recognized under the constitution and the bill of rights
0: yeah
1: it's a really funny situation
0: this is like uh, this is like you know a dog chasing its tail because um, in so many instances, and, and you probably see this way better than most anyone else. But in so many instances, whether it be the subprime crisis, whether it be uh, y- you know any of the financial issues beforehand, um, some of like the the um, securities cases and fraud and stuff like that, uh, a lot of regulation and law has resulted from that. When truthfully, the, the the common sense answer was you just had to enforce what was already on the books, right? Like what was yeah. already in place.
1: Well, um, OK, remember, though, we, we I'm sorry, I cut you off. You no, go ahead. To? Well, I was just going to say, remember, you know, like uh, something. Well, we didn't really talk about this. We'll talk about it later. But, you know, like um, in the 1850s, when they introduced the codes, we actually adopted those from England. We didn't have statutes of being. We had the common law, which basically was, uh, you know, 11 main causes of action which moved to court and so it was super simple but they argued you know it would be better if we uh brought the code system so anyways with that came uh the practice of lawyers and so before this you didn't have an official lawyer in the law you cannot um litigate on um on behalf of another person's rights that's not a thing so uh you can do your own case for your own rights, but you can't get another person to do it for you. So there wouldn't be a lawyer profession. That's not a thing, you know, but in the equity jurisdiction, it is. And so they go to school and they learn how to be a lawyer, which means how to represent someone in the equity jurisdiction. And as we have talked about how they become judges, you know, you can see how a whole slew of bad, um, uh, uh, you know, decisional laws come down because um, nobody is the wiser you know, yeah. and, and until someone challenges that decision, it's not going to be written on the books that it's been taken off. It yeah. may be true that at any case you're going to litigate, it is invalid, but it's not been determined by their court system to be invalid yet. So it's still yeah. there in the books. And we all look at it saying, oh, they passed down these decisions, but that doesn't matter. As soon as someone challenges it, it would be defeated, right? But they don't challenge it, what they do is they change their behavior so that it's in line with it. And they make it the new way everyone is, you know what I mean? Because they don't yeah. want to, who's going to re litigate something that's been litigated and decided?
0: Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and so that also brings something else uh, up that we and and right after this, we'll get to kind of, rem, you know, legal remedy. Um, but uh, the, the the idea that if you represent your pro yourself pro se, right? The assumption, or or, how should I put it, like, there's not an assumption that you're supposed to know the law. So anytime you screw up as a pro se defendant, right, like, even if you screw up, that can't be held against, or it it shouldn't be held against you in terms of the way that you're defending yourself, correct?
1: Nope. So I was going to save this until later. Again, I don't know how, how deep you want to go in on this, but uh, so there's something fundamental. So I'll say two things about this. But there's something fundamental about the law called substance and form. And we actually talked about it with uh, Color of Law. It said the appearance or semblance without the substance of legal right. So there's substance and form in the law. And substance is what actually gives you, your, you know, what actually creates um, the legal rights or liberties. Um, and the form is essentially how those uh, rights or liberties are asserted or accessed. So just a really good example is, you know, it may be your right to such and such. But when you go to the court, you probably don't put it in Chinese script. You put it in English. And, you know, you see what I mean? You're following. You, you see what I'm saying? You're following a certain format and everything. So that's form. Yeah. But the fact is at law form never trumps substance. And so it really doesn't matter how you could have written it on sticky notes, you know, a thousand sticky notes. And it really doesn't matter. You could have written it in Chinese. It doesn't matter because the substance of the matter is what gives your claim all of its force. And the other thing I was going to say on that is there have been many uh, pro se cases that have gone to Supreme Courts. And um, I remember some of them even say like uh, like the 150 page. Okay you should understand that court cases are like um, complaints, you know, are like 16 pages at most, right? Like if you can get it in two pages, you're like golden, you know, that's good because yeah. the judge doesn't have to read it, you know, take too much time to understand it. But uh, the 150 page pro se pleading that was, that was submitted uh, on behalf of the uh, plaintiff was considered or was um, called inept by the Supreme Court judge However, it was still held to be completely, not completely valid in the way that uh, that everything he wrote was valid, but valid in the way that the substance of the matter was not disregarded, despite his pleading having been considered inept—a <laughs> yeah. hundred and fifty-page pleading, ten times the size that it, the the, maxi- the maximum normally is. Yeah. You know.
0: No, I, 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 I love that aspect to it. So, um, yeah, we can definitely get deeper into it. Um, we, we can chase our tail a lot on, on this stuff, but, um, okay. So let's, so let's talk about the, the very last aspect of it, basically violations of the law and essentially remedy, right? Uh, well, the remedy is all of that stuff from
1: before. So the, the Oh, that's things right. From okay. before basically are things that hold them accountable and you could, you know, seek remedy under, okay. uh, these, these things are violations basically saying these are things that open them up to liability, to some judicial liability, right? To some okay. uh, uh, legal liability. So, um, an illegal arrest is an assault and battery. So take
0: 100%.
1: Back- <laughs> <Okay>. I actually <laughs> took this off. So we don't like to promote, you know, we're absolutely 100% against violence. Mm-hmm. So we do not endorse or promote anything like, um, you know, making any violent enemies of the government—that's not what we're about. We're actually thinking that this whole thing is a big misunderstanding. And if we, you know, bring our best rapport and our best, you know, effort, we can uh, we can be friendly and we can convince them to look at the law. And once they see it, they can know that they're they can change their behavior. You know, based on sufficient authoritative evidence. You know, understood. Um, but uh, to finish it off, it actually says. Um, something to the effect of and they can combat that um, um assault and battery just as it just the same as any other as they would any other assault and battery so of course it's going to open you up probably get shot in the chest by cops so don't yeah. do it
0: yeah you, you'll be exonerated <laughs> later after you're dead, after you're dead. Yep. unfortunately <laughs> that's the
1: case yeah so anyways but yeah um so the second one there um A state may not impose a charge for the enjoyment of a right granted by the federal constitution. Uh, One cannot be punished for failing to obey the command of an officer if that command is itself violative of the the constitution. For example, certain police stops to identify an individual without warrant or probable cause. Being violations of the fourth amendment, uh, they are not empowered to do that. They cannot simply stop you and ask you to identify yourself without thinking that you're involved Um, in a specific crime or in some specific criminal um, activity uh, based on probable cause or a warrant they've already acquired.
0: Mm. Okay. Um,
1: So that's significant because, like, where I come from, cops are going to stop you all the time for Mm -hmm. no reason but to identify you. There's nothing that they can say you're doing illegally. They just think they have the right to identify you. And so when I read that, I was just like, well, I'll be – you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the next one? Uh, all public officers owe a fiduciary to the public and all public officers labor under every disability and prohibition imposed by law upon trustees relative to the making of personal financial gain from a discharge
0: of their trusts. Let, let me let me a- ask about that one. Okay. But, but So hold on. I'm basically going to kind of like read it back here. So Basically, public officer, all public officers, labor under every disability and prohibition imposed by law. So basically, they have to abide by the law and how it essentially limits them or constrains them um, upon trustees relative to the making of personal financial gain from a discharge of their trusts. So is this basically a conflict of interest protection? Is that what this is?
1: Yes, it would be. Okay. So. To whatever degree, obviously, it says imposed by law. So um, it would maybe be, you know, up for judicial review. What laws were legitimately passed? Like I know, um, there's legislation passed that says Congress can't be held uh, to uh, um, insider trading um, laws. Mm-hmm. So like that to me seems like maybe they don't have the authority to pass that legislation. If they don't, then all of them cashing in on this insider trading knowledge uh, would be illegal. Uh,
0: I, one, I would agree just, just from a, uh, just from a philosophical standpoint, but yeah. um, no, I, I would also agree from the standpoint of if, if that's the construction of it, then yeah, they can't give themselves broader powers. Like you, you cannot, legislate yourself into having broader powers that's right?
1: true i'm just that's absolutely true i was actually just talking about financial gain but you're right about okay. that too one okay. thing uh, i love to bring up is uh, if you look um uh oh shoot i'm losing my train of thought one maybe i can get it back um oh yeah uh one of our founding fathers let me see uh, i can't remember which one but um i remember one of them saying uh Oh yeah, it's like um, democracies always fail um, as a consequence of the um, something like the oh the legislative body um, legislating itself largess out of the public treasury. So you look up largess and it just means like gifts. So yeah. like like literally all democ the quote is all democracies have in the past, historically speaking, have failed as a consequence of, oh, it was as a consequence of loose fiscal policy. Uh, once the legislative body uh, like found out it could um, legislate itself largesse out of the public treasury. So I just see the state of things and like how much they make, like think about this, right? How much did each one of them cash in on, on their you know public official salaries and none of them even met because of COVID? Yeah. And yet how many of you people maybe like had to go to work and had to do extra work or maybe got laid off and couldn't go to work. And what
0: did you get? Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah, no wonder no, and, uh, and on top, fail. And on top of that, um, th- there's also other added elements there, which I, I don't think were ever contemplated in the beginning. And so, I mean, maybe they don't fall under the 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 guise of, of kind of the, the, the formation of law in this country, but... Um, the, the, the idea that like a, a, a public official can campaign and create essentially a war chest and then be gifted the war chest at the end of their career is also something that seems like just inherently, um, you, you know, a gigantic conflict of interest.
1: That's crazy. Um, I, didn't even, I don't even know what you're, I'm not even that familiar. I don't follow political processes as much like we, our organization explicitly, we're a 501c, well, we, we're applying for 501c3 status and not 501c4. And the difference there is that we can affect, you know, um, the executive and judicial branches, but we're not here to, to you know, try to change any po- legislative policy or anything like that. Sure, sure. But, but great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Last one. Any enterprise undertaken?
1: All right. So this one is actually one of my favorites. So yeah, any enterprise undertaken which tends to weaken public confidence and undermine the sense of security for individual rights is against public policy.
0: So we're talking, what, fear tactics on the part? What? Are you saying like fear tactics on the part of legislators or? No, I'm saying like uh, vaccine passports.
1: Like I'm like literally like anything, any enterprise undertaking that undermines, what is it, um, public confidence. Mm -hmm. And under I mean, weakens public confidence and undermines the sense of security for individual rights. Like all of that.
0: Yeah. So what's funny is, or not what's funny, what's fantastic is it includes the phrase individual rights, because if, if you take, we, we have a lot of collectivists right now that are kind of rowing the boat in the direction that it's going in and, and their interpretation, or, or, you know, maybe they don't even stop to think, but you know, their perspective is that their duty is to, you know, help secure, help the security of the collective right? Like help the group security. But so what this is essentially saying is that any, any, you know, enterprise or, or kind of like project undertaken, which undermines the security for an an individual, right. Um, mm-hmm. is, is essentially,
1: uh, against public wrong.
0: policy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That that's like that in a nutshell, in, in a nutshell yep. is the argument I against collectivism.
1: Yeah, totally. I see what you're saying. So you're, you're saying there's become an issue or there's an, a new issue ar- ar- arose and it's the question of whether or not a group based on their, you know, uh, collective security or collective safety could intervene um, on the uh, rights of an individual. And this yep. would show you at least in terms of the administrative law of the body politic, the, Amer- you know, the United States of America or Montana or are you in New Jersey, I think, right? Um, Correct according to the administrative law of those bodies politics. Yes, you, you, uh, you could, I guess, um, I'm not sure if I could actually phrased that right, but I hope you were able to
0: see <laughs> by putting that No, down. that's okay. Um, so yeah, we ran like an hour and a half. Um, and, and that's fantastic. Cause there was just so much there. Um, I'm also going to have a lot to chop up too. So I can like make like little segments and then each one of those, bullet points or sections is going to become subsequent episodes. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. Not necessarily
1: every single one, but uh, there's going to be quite a lot of, uh, of in-depth, um, discussion on all sorts of aspects relating to these topics and more. This is, this is maybe about 20 to 30%. Maybe this is about 20% of what we've got, uh, what we're currently looking into right now.
0: Awesome. I love that. We, we got a lot to work with, uh, Trump and consensus was watching and said, excellent talk, uh, gentlemen, which is fantastic. Awesome. Um, so oh,
1: yeah. uh, does he, do you have any questions or does anyone have any questions? Because that, we can, I know that it's, if you don't want to stay long, I don't mean to make your show long.
0: No, that's about. okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll shut it down for now. I always tell everyone, like if you want to comment and things like that after the the live is done, Um, we'll definitely at least answer them, if not bring them on to the next episode. So, yeah, people can comment and question. Um, But, yeah, no, this was fantastic. So um, we're going to be here again next week um, and and try and make this a regular thing on Thursday night, if that works out. If not, you know, we can play with schedules, but, you know, we're going to try and make it a Thursday night thing. So, um, yeah, no, Josiah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to play the outro here, hang out for a minute, we'll chat and then, uh, we'll, we'll shut it down for the evening.
1: I just wanted to say, thank you so much. I just don't understand how grateful I am for the opportunity. It's really a complex topic. It's hard to talk to people about and having a platform like this, it's just something amazing and I really appreciate it. Thank
0: you so much. I, I can tell you it's completely out of self-interest. I want to learn the stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: apparently how it's all supposed to work awesome awesome all right well uh thank you everyone we will see you next week thank you again for tuning in this is a quick reminder to subscribe like share and comment to help get the message of liberty and freedom in front of as many folks as possible see you next time on why libertarian